Welcome to the Zero Ambitions podcast. Uh, today we are covering the talks and keynotes from Best Fest 2022, and I'm joined by Christina Geiger, former president of the Rolling Corporation of Architects in Scotland. Welcome. Thank you. And my co-hosts Sarah Edmonds, Jeff Colley, and Duncan Smith. Today we were on a you were on the panel uh, discussing uh, how we changed the scale of the conversation from mass construction to each individual occupant. So the first question I have for you is, what did you hope uh, would be the key takeaways for the audience? Uh, what did they gain from your keynote? Well, I think the really interesting thing about this is I asked the audience to wear two hats, to be professionals in the space, but also to be users and occupants of buildings. So there was almost a dual response anticipated in terms of as professionals and potential influencers in the room. To, to take away actually how do we help the domestic market achieve net zero? How do we help users? How do we help occupants? Really question that with their professional hat on, but also as a, a user and an occupant of a building, you know, how are we managing that? How What can we do? How do we look at where we live, where we work, um, our local environment? So it was almost a two-pronged approach to not really strategically, actually, if I'm honest, but you can't stop thinking about sustainability and you can't stop thinking about the trajectory to net zero because it affects everything. So, you know, how do how does that manifest itself from the amazing conversations we're having here at best today in terms of, you know, really changing the construction industry right the way down to how we function at a kind of household level, mm. essentially. So those two hats are really important there. So hopefully two takeaways, if I'm lucky. And I think the question that we had on the, we were doing some interactive audience participation with questions afterwards for the audience to answer. And without knowing the full content of what you were talking about, we had a question around how do we communicate with the communities who are not in the room? And it was a really kind of, what kind of spoke a lot to what you were talking about. Yeah. I also just have to say, <laughs> I feel a little bit like we're sitting around a microphone together yeah. in a room. <laughs> and when Alex introduced everybody, I was like, that's really quiet. Or like, because we're always just like doing our own thing on our own place. Like, <laughs> so we're all here together. <laughs> I just need to break that ice. We don't have Dan here. Hi, Dan. <laughs> It's quite yeah. a special moment for yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Hi, Dan. <laughs> the big thing that you talked about is becoming, for the industry to become more accessible. And that was really the, it was what you discussed throughout the whole thing and you really ended up on that as well. So the question is, is how do we become more accessible? And does that relate to the, the topic of becoming an influencer? Is that, is, are those two related? Yeah, I'd say definitely, but I have to kind of answer it, it in two parts. So... The becoming more accessible, I don't have the answer, but the system as it currently, the way we operate professionally, the current, you could rule it into procurement as well, it doesn't address end user and occupant need the way that it should. So how, how do we actually pull that engagement to the forefront? And to do that, we've got to completely change the way we work, and which is hard because that's, you know, new business thinking, innovative and, and transformative business model. You know, you are looking at your kind of disruptor needing to come into the market and do it differently. And I think there have been various disruptors in architecture um, that look at really kind of delivering planning and building regulations and almost kind of the disruptors have tried to simplify the architectural system 
But I don't know of anyone who's come in as a disruptor to flip architecture on its head to really make it accessible. The difficulty always comes in, and that's the example I gave in my talk, that I had a, a big debate with a colleague that actually in terms of economic feasibility, you know, a, a domestic homeowner, for example, that's got a, a small scale budget wouldn't probably want to approach an architect because they'd hope that half, they'd imagine that half their budget, three quarters of their budget mm. would be gone. The reality is, is they're probably right mm. in terms of actually the time it would take and the professional skill. So there's a scale there that we need to address. Again, the how, I don't have the answer to. There, There is a certain amount of hope that I put into collegiate activity forming kind of hubs to support local areas and communities, so very local response-driven. But this is very much in Christina's head, wouldn't this be wonderful? But a bit, you know, <laughs> listening to the Scottish National Investment Bank representatives saying, you know, you have to have commerciality. I'm sitting there thinking, well, I don't think I've really thought this through. Um, <laughs> so I don't really know what that disruption looks like. I have a bit of a problem with it all having to have commerciality because what was bubbling in my mind when we were talking a lot inside was, at what point should I drop in there? Anybody consider degrowth? Bomb, because I think it's important, yes, to operate within the systems that we have and to do better through those things. So yes, we do need the commercial things to lead, but we talk about this all the time. It can't just be a market-driven piece. It does have to be yeah. how we actually get through those collegiate behaviours, through those networks, as we bring together the best quality information that is accessible for the widest number of people. Every, people, everyday people need access to this information. And so maybe it, what I think has sort of happened with architecture is that it's become tied up with, if you're going to go for the good quality thing, you have to have the architect and the rest of you can stuff yeah. it. I don't think that's right. I think you should be able to access. In fact, it was something we were talking about with Robbie McGrath and D-Res, and they were talking about the levels of homes that they're building and designing and whatnot fundamental bones of it to use the word you used earlier on Christina is that that's all good the fabric is good we, we get the fabric right if they want to go gold star then they pay for the more expensive kitchen bit in their house now that's all in the, the new build phase but that same approach of the access to the best quality fabric that has a direct impact on how you live needs to be made accessible to the broadest range of people and it does not should not mean that you're then not going to be engaging with architects, you know? Yeah. So Does that also potentially mean carving out different kinds of roles? Like if you take retrofit, for instance, a lot of, and I look to people like Paul Kenny and, and his, uh, the, the Irish policy advisor to the Minister of the Environment, but he was formerly CEO of Tipperary Energy Agency uh, and, and designed their super homes retrofit scheme. Mm. And the way they pitched it was he said, we need to find a way to make retrofit work for the Mrs. Murphys of, of this world. You know, uh, the ordinary people who are, maybe they need, they're, they're, you're, you might be talking about if you can get a budget. Now, this is before this winter, of course, you know, um, so that may have changed everything. But 25 grand, maybe a bit more, you could get them on board. And what they've done in their case, they have engineers employed by the energy agency who are employed specific technical role they sit down they have the cup of tea as well with the with, with the, mm. the, the householders and they design the retrofit they're not doing it's a technical design role mm -hmm. you know and mm. um, which is maybe not very inspiring for a would be art you know, for an architect i don't know it's it's cost it's relatively low cost because their function is just to engage with ensuring that the retrofit works mm -hmm. you know Yes, you could take a step back, and maybe maybe they could be thinking about things differently, and and uh, and and getting you know and saving, you know, I don't know, planning the project in a different way. But it seems like there's a, there's an opportunity here 
where maybe the cost wouldn't be massive. I don't know. You know? But couldn't it be part of the service that I think this comes back to um, we talked around a lot of things about understanding of building physics mm. again. So it's actually if that underpins all of the roles, then it doesn't really matter if you only have a small budget, but you know that you're going to get that quality approach through the understanding yeah. of building physics. That is the bit where maybe saying is like, that's your that's your foundation. That's the bit that everybody should be able to have access to. And then if you want to go and deliver more services or you need a bigger brief of services to be delivered, then there are roles for all of those things. It's not like we're trying to say like, okay, architects step aside or all of you step mm-hmm. aside and we just want this one thing. There is no one thing. There is no one answer. But what does need to happen is that that baseline of understanding yeah. of how the buildings work is... Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think this is completely key to me which is why I think architecture and the construction industry is changing because architecture has been continuously seen as a luxury mm-hmm. there's this idea and it you know it can be beautiful I mean, God, I love detailing beautiful things luxury and, and beauty yeah, be, exactly know. associating cost with that intrinsically you picked up on that straight away is really really detrimental whereas actually architecture is about function it is about something performing so well and so efficiently that you kind of don't notice it it just works mm-hmm. and actually you know when you when you google architecture you get your you know your big buildings your glossy but you know to me and i suppose it's a very personal opinion but that's not what architecture is architecture is absolute user function and mm-hmm. and that deliverability is so important in that retrofit market and i think that's where it comes into that, that user and that client and and that engagement and how you can get that balance right you know the idea that you might be lucky enough to employ an architect to do a project once in your life let's just smash that apart it, the accessibility of it it should you the whole idea about the mot is that actually you don't just do a project once either a building needs maintenance it needs checking in you know your systems and it's the idea of like it, it needs to be checked upon continuously therefore it shouldn't be a one-time relationship you know actually it's about that mm-hmm. continual professional engagement to, to support you know you and your your home or your house or your property or however mm-hmm. you know it's managed and i think it's just that real shift in terms of how architects are perceived as well as how we operate as an industry it's just so important but yeah i still haven't answered the how sorry i think we're talking i mean this is what we discussed in the the last uh, podcast but and you and i have discussed this ad nauseum but it's cost and value it is it's about saying there is a cost Mm. this is financial Mm. but the value for what you are actually physically buying will far outstrip for a number of yeah. you know of, of factors so i suppose that's a how do you educate almost the, the, the client side i know we talk about yeah. the consumer how do we, <laughs> how do we talk how do we educate people and, and that's a difficult one mm. yeah and cost of living definitely comes into that because i think in the pandemic there was an uplift in spend on your own your, your own space whatever that was whether that was, you know, surface or whether it was deeper, you know, there's probably a variation. But with cost of living crisis, you know, that's just, you can tell it's just slipped right down the, mm-hmm. the line of thought. And there needs to be an energy within the industry to keep that retrofit conversation alive rather than waiting necessarily for, for government to be driving yeah. that. Um, I think that the industry needs to respond in a way that, that addresses its own accessibility. I think there needs to be responsibility taken a little mm-hmm. bit, which is what I said at the beginning. You know, we need to own where we are as an industry and as a profession and and really just acknowledge where we've got to you know how we interact with clients how we uh, deliver work and and you know figure out a way that we can kind of tear that apart a little bit to become more accessible 
I actually thought that you touched upon a potential solution because you were talking about aftercare. Yeah, I'm paraphrasing, but you talk about the maintenance of the buildings. And mm. one thing that I learned from going on the usable buildings website, Billboard S and Adrian Neiman, mm-hmm. I saw this documentary about an architect who actually spent time after having firstly built the house in complete sort of um, you know, symbiosis with his clients. So I would go into the building and choose where the walls would go with them, make them sit around, you know, like what a, what a mm. great use of user experience. Uh, Mm-hmm. Um, but he, it was the idea that you had someone who had to commit to come back mm. and look at the building, maybe go up and climb up their ladder and take out all the, the stuff from the, the leaves mm. from the gutters, etc. But I think from a perception perspective, that would actually help the end user feel more comfortable because you would see that, oh, my neighbor did something, they did retrofit the house and the architect and even the contractor came back and started looking at things, making sure things were okay. You're talking about closing the loop, right? So it's like the building performance evaluation. And this came up, we did an ACAN workshop just now inside, and that came up as a really crucial point of, we know that building performance evaluation is important to close the gap so that you know that you got what you said you were going to get, you know, that that was designed. But it also matters about the... I know people don't like to also talk anymore about post-occupancy evaluation because it feels like another thing that you add on to something rather than an integral part of the system of the building process, whether that's retrofit, new build, whatever that is. To build that in involves also ensuring that the, the, the operators of the buildings or the users of the buildings or the households know how it works. And I'm not even saying about knowing how a new all singing, all dancing, heat pump, solar, whatever house works. Right now, we don't know how our homes work. Like Joe Alsop talks about that from the heating hub. We don't know how to run our boilers efficiently. We don't know that actually we should really be ventilating at what level. Those basic things need to kind of come out as understanding. Like I think it was you, Christina, who said it, wasn't it, that we know more about yeah. Our cars. Okay. I don't have a car. <laughs> I don't know anything about cars. Washing machines. <laughs> Washing machines. Exactly. Yeah. We know more about those things, or at least we certainly know where... Hang on, something's not right here. Where's the manual? Mm. But we should have yeah. that, but we don't have that. I think it's that... It's the critical... There's two things. It's the, it's the critical design around... Because I've totally agreed with your point about maintenance and that. And you and I have discussed this before. And, and that is where the design element is critical about how you and I think even more so given the climate catastrophe that we're in and how we're actually designing buildings now for potentially adverse weather in five, mm-hmm. ten, ten years. I think that's really, really crucial. But also what we shouldn't overlook is how that is then implemented yeah. on on site. And I, and without trying to steer the conversation in a slightly different way, I mean absolutely I I I, I recognise a long time ago that architects were absolutely essential within the design element of, of retrofit but so are really really good and we had this conversation mm-hmm. just half an hour ago so are really really good Clark works because mm-hmm. Clark works should be the architect's best friend mm-hmm. yeah and, and, and something that's surveying role who knows that look if you're going to design a um, you know a, um, a building in a, in a specific way there are bits that meet and you know cross over and that you know end all have to be um delivered really, really well, unless you're going to get significant maintenance and performance issues. Especially if you're delivering at scale, I think, yeah. you know, that's that's really key. And I just think that um, in terms of that handover of information, we almost undersell ourselves as professionals because we have specified everything in that building. We know what everything is and it's actually how do you communicate that to the, to the user, you know, mm how long the cladding will last, when, what kind of maintenance. And, you know, everyone does in this, and we try to pass on as much information as possible, but it's keeping those links. It's it's that becoming the norm so that if a 
kind of client buys a house or someone buys a house and they know that that cladding, you know, has a 20 year life mm. or it needs painting in 25 years. You know, I, I think the, the yeah. new builds uh, industry suffers from the fact that it, when, when people purchase a, a new build, it's the idea that it's maintenance free. Well, it certainly won't be in, you know, 15 years time. And actually we yeah. don't talk about that. We don't, mm. you know, even to, to live in a house and, and to maintain it, you know, it's not, it's not about ownership. And I think even that in itself comes with financial uh, weight mm. and, you know, responsibility. And I, I just think that we just don't talk about it enough. It's that ownership of our built environment. We, we need the Tesco effect. <laughs> we went to Shetland a few weeks back with some best colleagues. And this is what they called the Tesco effect on so many fronts. Because living on an island, you know, you know who the architects are. You know who the builders are. Yeah. And if you cannot bump into them in Tesco uh, yeah, <laughs> without yeah. fear, <laughs> yeah, then you've yeah, done something yeah. wrong. And that comes yeah. back to accountability, right? Yeah. So they got a lot of things actually were really brought into very clear light when we went to um, Shetland, just in terms of having to do stuff because you have to. Mm-hmm. There is no choice. Mm-hmm. It's a more extreme climate. It's a, a finite place. There are all sorts of things that are so they're so much further ahead in their thinking than some of the things we're doing where we don't. We're not faced with those things immediately. Mm-hmm. But it is that sort of thing of building in accountability and you do that through the building performance evaluation because and it's not got to be you know even the 12 months of a cycle of seasons going by Mm -hmm. and trying to get your contractor to hang around for then I mean it's not the contractor's fault per se it's the procurement structures that we operate within but not having that longer term piece around you know but how is it working and how is your relationship extending how do we get all the different financial structures to back that up as well it is it is a sea change no no uh, i mean architects are kind of on the hook one way or the other aren't they with pi you know mm. the, uh, so oh god that's only getting worse would this potentially could could handing this kind of information over to to clients potentially uh, you know make that situation worse or mm. not i don't know um well in the current setup yes yeah, of course definitely. it could because if we're saying now like not only have you got to do something within the current structures but we're also saying that there is a however long period of time where actually you've got your responsibility that's extended it is in those structures but i think it's what you were alluding to got to change more than just that one it's all of it needs the the system guess what guess what the system needs changing yeah yeah and i i completely get your point in terms of i think i think it would make it harder but i think that's where the I think the, there's a lot of nervousness around... There's so many conversations, I don't know how to put this, that are missing <laughs> at the moment. You know, so how many people sit down with a client and say, how long do you want your cladding to last? <laughs> you know, and these are the options in terms of the carbon footprint. Mm. And these are the options in terms of longevity and maintenance. You know, that yeah. level of detail. Yeah, there are probably some projects that are really... But, you know, at the end of the day, it's often capital cost. Mm-hmm. and what will get through planning and it comes down to pragmatics and it's actually you know how do we break down the conversation so that the the client or the end user the occupant the the design professionals are all able to have a conversation where actually you're all talking about the the length of product and actually some things impact and mm-hmm. how it comes together and i think it's actually the it's it's that involvement that i don't want to say we're having the conversation on our own because that's not true but it's about it's about inviting everyone into that conversation. Mm. And that conversation is critical. However, and without to be too depressing, you probably find 
Which shall we? Which Here we go. Yeah. We're going to get depressing. Which shall we? Be inspired. Be depressed. It's definitely not hanging on a banner inside there. Be depressed. You probably find there's as much conversation over buying a kitchen and the, and the specification of the kitchen yes. is what is uh, way more. Yes. Uh, a kitchen and a bathroom, yes. and and the focus, and you know, I can get that. You know, it's where you live. It's you're 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 in there. How do you change that? But I think I think also the problem is that there is fundamentally the that conversation can't happen because the professionals in this industry they they go through and they do projects and some go well, some go bad, some go terribly bad, mm-hmm. and they come back and say, well, look, in my experience, this is what I found. So they've done a user research. Yeah. Which, from my perspective, is completely flawed because they haven't gone out and actually asked the questions. Really, they haven't said. Yeah. Like what happened here? You know the post the, the post occupancy uh, uh, feedback or you know like real honest conversation hasn't happened. So when they go into pitch to another client, they'll go and say, "Look, I know what you want. You want something cheap. You want something quick. You want something that can be least disruptive." <laughs> And they go, yes, 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 I think that's right, because they have no idea. Mm-hmm. A few do, yeah. and some probably feel a bit, like, that doesn't feel right, but they don't know enough. So there is, there should be something about doing more research so that then that conversation can happen, because I think that the architects and the contractors need to be, have a part in educated and empowering mm. the, uh, the customer mm. to, to feel that they can ask those silly questions as well and, yeah. not, and not go, ooh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, gosh, there's no silly questions. There are no silly questions. No. So this is what... Yeah. <laughs> Duncan's like, come on. <laughs> Google. No, no, talk. So Everybody's heard enough from me. I, I, th- I think you and I have a discuss- discussion for easily six months where I think when you when you, there's 70 million Brits, you probably find there's a good few million. Well, my wife, I give as an example, she's mm-hmm. a professional working in project management and finance. But if you give her the toolkit to understand and, and and interpret the world that we live in, she would pick that up really quickly. Mm-hmm. And you would start to have a different conversation. I don't know, we hate the word consumer from the client mm-hmm. side. We would start to have clients who were informed, who were then changing the market in terms of whether it was architectural designers, whether it was builders, saying, well, actually, how are you going to mitigate moisture here? Mm-hmm. Oh, really? <laughs> but it comes right back around to where we started with what you were saying, which is like, how do we, like, how are we communicating with those that aren't in the room? And assuming, this is what I was trying to say in, in, the wrap-up moments at the in the best fest was take yes have these conversations yes we are getting better at talking amongst ourselves in, within the industry yes we are seeing that just today's testament to that but take those conversations out of work I mean I wasn't exactly trying to encourage people to take the work home but at the same time like take your work home take those questions home because we did I'll give you an example we did um, one of the things one of the things I'm involved in is HEAL Home Energy Action Lab and that is about doing that bit of like education outreach in into different communities and groups into schools resident groups businesses whatnot but just to say these are i'm not going to sell you anything but these are first principles best practice of retrofit so we'll go and we do that i was i'll speak from my own experience i was so pleasantly surprised i didn't have to stop and explain or 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 clarify anything everyone's like yep 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 and then after they come up and go so i was thinking because and they're ahead down the conversation they understand people do understand they want to know and they want to take that information and run with it we got to stop holding on to it and we've got to yeah. find a way to put it out there so people can really work work with that. Because the amount of pride and care for built environment is is huge. I mean, you see it in, in investment, you see it in planters, you see it in people wanting to kind of take ownership of the built environment. You see it in certain spaces and it's like, how you harness that energy? Mm. You know, there is care. And I think it's, yeah, it's, it's just how you can, I just think... I, we should just ask more questions. You know, mm. What do people want? Yeah. How do we how do we bring that into architecture? And how do we 
how do we really use that as a driver? And then if you do have a conversation about a kitchen and a bathroom, it's also how long should the kitchen last? How can you take it apart? Mm. Could you reuse it? Could you keep the carcasses? Mm. So that actually... And do that... you have an overhead extractor hood for the my test <laughs> subjects? Because these bloody pop-up ones are no use. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different conversation. <laughs> but I think it's interesting because, you know, even the kitchen and the bathroom comes into people who think, oh, I'll just put a cheap kitchen in because it's all I can afford right now. And when I've got the money in 10 years' time, I'll redo it. okay so you know even that in itself is a problem from a sustainability perspective so it it does come down to those finishes as well but it's just how how we can turn that conversation on its head a little bit and run it through the whole practice absolutely one of the final thing i'd say i think this idea of um a building a list a digital repository of of, uh or like a manual handed over for the house whatever you want to call it that's got to happen it's mm-hmm. just got to happen and you know that's got to be put to I tried to get that into the program for government actually in Ireland uh, and failed um, uh, in, the, in the last session that needs to be pushed with government here yeah. you know because um, mm-hmm. it would be popular the only people who might not like it are some people in the industry who are doing um, who are doing work that they're not sure about yeah. um, but you know it's got to be done yeah, yeah route plans maintenance plans things that can be passed on and then built upon are the, it's, you know in terms of design for deconstruction in terms of what will happen to that building stock of that home in years to come it's absolutely essential central um, I mean we chase old building warrants in Scotland to try and figure out how things are put together and you know it's just it's a minefield it's never like that so it's that paper trail that we've got the power to do now that I think can help with turning that system on its head a little bit maybe just as a, a final thought maybe it should be attached to the deeds of the house the deeds of the house yeah. they survive for centuries so why couldn't the, mm, yeah. the, I call it building passport yeah. that term that, that, uh, yeah. yeah but just in terms of question of time, uh, we do have one last question for okay. you, uh, and it's bringing back to BestFest, and it's uh, why is it important to have events like BestFest? Oh, gosh. Um, I think the amount of different stakeholders in that one room today is impressive. Mm-hmm. I think it's rare, um, and I think with the varied types of talk, it, it just it makes different people from different areas of the sector think differently. So, like, three different... <laughs> So, but all in the same space. So it's slightly under the radar, challenging each other a little bit. And I just don't think we do that enough. And I think in the pandemic, there was a little bit of an online version of that when, you know, we were all stuck at home and we thought we had loads of time um, where everyone tried to engage with different areas of the sector or different areas of work. And there was a real kind of hype and energy. There's been a massive lull as people have just tried to cope with life. And then you get moments like today where everyone's back in the space and it's like, there is energy. We, we can do something here that you know there's and there's expertise as well and I think that's the thing like although I might not like what an area of the industry is doing or might think that they could do it better the only way that you know unless I'm owning about it behind closed doors I'm going to be able to do anything about it is to talk to them about it or ask why or you know push or talk about something uncomfortable in front of them you know so it's just about that opportunity to push each other um, and I just don't think it there's many opportunities to do that mm. other than events like this. And it was just fantastic to be a part of. And I certainly didn't anticipate that amount of people. <laughs> 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 I hope that answers the question. I don't know whether I did. Sorry. Perfect. Well, I, think, I think that's fantastic. That's a great way to attend. So, Christina, thank you so much for thank you for having me. Time and, uh, yeah. and, and thank you for today. all thank the you. wonderful co-hosts. I feel very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you.